Otherwise, with Shadow Twala, see the world from a woman's point of view. Very good day to you, Mzansi. Welcome to Otherwise Talking Women on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. My name is Shadow Twala. Hazel Makuzeni produces the show. And our technical producer for today is Nkulo Gunene. You may reach us on 0892102010, email otherwise at safm.co.za, tweets at SAFM Radio or at Shadow Twala. As part of its ongoing commitment to women's economic empowerment, Airbnb has announced two new partnerships. Head of Communications, Lena Sonicson, will share the benefits. We talk body language with celebrated actress and businesswoman Gail Mabalane. And finally, we hear about the ACT UJ Arts and Culture Conference from one of the keynote speakers, Didin Tlenziye. But first. Chew on these wise words. The Lunch Bite on SAFM. As part of uh, Anti-Racism Week, Maya Angelou says the plague of racism is insidious, entering into our minds as smoothly and quietly and invisibly as floating airborne microbes enter our body to find lifelong purchase in our bloodstreams. SAFM brings you live, interactive, topical news from current affairs, global warming debates, women's issues, to interviews with top literary connoisseurs. To join our conversations, visit our website on safm.co.za. Follow us on Twitter at SAFM Radio or simply like our Facebook page, SAFM Radio. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Martin Luther King. SAFM says no to racism. Something has come naturally to SAFM. SAFM. Like being SA's news and information leader. SAFM, 104 to 107. My guest is Head of Communications, the Middle East and Africa uh, for Airbnb, Lena Sonicson. Hello, Lena. Hello, Shadow. Thanks so much for having me. I know you travel. Are you, where are you at the moment? <laughs> I'm actually in Berlin right now. Um, uh, that is where our office is um, in Europe, but I'm excited to come to South Africa really soon. Well, we expect to host you very soon. Now, tell me, how big is the Airbnb community to date? Um, Airbnb is actually a really large community worldwide right now, um, which is super exciting for us. Um, We have more than 2 million homes all over the world that you can book and stay in, and we've had 80 million total guests. Um, since we were founded in 2008. So that's, you know, quite a, quite a large community already. And is your community mainly women? It is not mainly women, um, but it is a little bit more women than men is what we found. Um, so globally, uh, 55% of our hosts are women. Um, so uh, they host a little bit more than, than men do, but generally it is, it is quite equal. And how does one participate? How does one become um, a member of your community? So Airbnb is an open platform. It's a platform for amazing, unique homes that you can book and stay in all over the world. And um, it is actually really easy to become a member on Airbnb. So if you want to host, let's say, you know, you have an amazing home in South Africa somewhere and you have a guest room um, or sometimes you travel yourself and you can rent out the the whole home while you're away, just go onto our platform, uh, onto airbnb.com, 
and um, list your space, which is pretty easily done. I would say it probably takes 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. You tell us a little bit about yourself. You create a profile. You tell about the space that you're looking to rent out. And the best thing is we even send you a photographer, a professional photographer, absolutely free of charge to take um, amazing pictures of your, of your space. And with that, you're pretty much done. And then you just have to wait for a guest to, to book your home and, and, and stay with you, hopefully, pretty soon. So no money exchanges hands uh, as far as the guest and the host are concerned, or does it? Well, um, so Airbnb is um, it is not a free platform for guests to stay. So uh, money does exchange hands. So you pay for the stay. Um, there are um, you know there are versions where that doesn't happen, which is couch surfing. I think that is the most um, well known one globally. But Airbnb, you do actually pay for the stay. But as you say, no money exchanges hands because Airbnb actually handles the payment, oh. which is really important because that uh, increases trust. Um, both for the guests and the host. So the guest, when they book a place, um, let's say you found an amazing beach house and you want to you wanna book it, you actually pay Airbnb, and then Airbnb pays out the host once the stay has happened. Um, and as I said, that's a way for, for people to really trust that everything works well with the money. So do you check profiles and background information of your hosts and guests? Um, that is a really good question because obviously trust and, and, and safety on our platform is the most important thing. It's absolutely key for what we do, and I would say it's, it's one of our most important um, uh, features. Airbnb has actually 40 trust and safety features, more than 40 trust and safety features mm-hmm. that allow for the, safe, uh, the space to be safe and, and pleasant. Um, and most of these actually start way before a booking happens. So, for example, we have... Um, verified profile. So you always know on Airbnb who you book with, and you can read a lot about um, who you're staying with, both on both sites actually. Um, then the payment, as I just said, is really important, um, and that is handled through our secure platform so that you always know that, you know, there's, there's no transfers or anything. And um, then the biggest feature, I think, in, in order to increase trust in Airbnb is the reviews. So um, after a stay, both hosts and guests review each other. Um, and you should go onto our platform and look at these. These are sometimes really long. They're almost like little stories. <laughs> so when you go and book a place, you can read about other people who have stayed there, and you will find out a lot about you know, what the host offers and where the place is located and whether it's something that's going to be suitable for your vacation or your trip. So let's turn to your partnerships that you've just announced and, and, and why women's economic empowerment specifically is, is what you're passionate about. Yes. Um, so Airbnb generally is very passionate about equality. Our, you know, our message or our, our high-level goal is to, to create a world where people can actually belong anywhere. And that is a really big and empowering goal in itself. And you can say we want something where everyone belongs anywhere if you don't include both genders, right? So um, equality is something that we're passionate about and that drives us. And we took um, uh, International Women's Day a couple of days ago as, as, a, as a good marker for us to announce two new partnerships um, in which we partner with um, global organizations um, that are celebrating and empowering women around the world and we partner with them um, in, in a way that we help them with their travel. So um, the, um, obviously their female leaders need to travel all over the world to 
um, attend conferences and meetings and such, and, and, and we are helping with that travel. So for us, that, that was a great way to contribute to a cause that we are passionate about in a way that is very, very close to what we do anyway. Um, and um, as I said, 55% of all our hosts are women, and we know that they open their homes, that they open um, their homes to, to travelers and that they provide amazing hospitality, and it's important that we celebrate and, and empower that. Um, and for travelers, the same is true, right? Women are some of the most um, curious travelers, and, and they take great trips. So it's, it's an important part of our community, and we want to we want to do our part to to, to help them. So, how do you handpick these these uh, um, NGOs or women's groups that you support? In this case, this was something that was done out of our um, uh, headquarters in San Francisco. So this is a global partnership. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but as, since Airbnb is so local, I mean, we are in more than 190 countries around the world. Um, th- this is only the beginning, and this is only the high-level global partnerships. And I would actually be really, really excited to do something similar um, on, a, on, a, on a country scale in South Africa. And it is very much early days for us um, in, in, in the market. Um, but, but I think there are amazing opportunities um, that we can do something similar in, in South Africa. Um, when, we, you know, when we look into our community in, in your country, there are some amazing women, there are some amazing hosts and travelers, um, and I think it's, it's an exciting opportunity for us to, to recreate some of that. So what, what's, what does your work entail in, in the Middle East and, and on the African continent? So um, as I said, it's still somewhat early days for us. Um, we have about 50,000 homes um, in the region, and all of that is pretty much organic growth, which is amazing. So that tells you that um, both hosts and guests in, in, in Africa and in the Middle East are excited about Airbnb and that they've already joined our platform um, even though we haven't really, um, you know, started engaging with the market. So we noticed that there's a lot of excitement for what we do, and um, we're now starting to, to really go into the market, talk to our hosts a bit more, um, understand what drives them, what they want from us, and how we can help, and how we can empower the community even more. Um, there are some amazing stories that we've already heard about people who, you know, rent out their space, um, which helps them to earn a little bit of money, Mm-hmm. Um, which sometimes goes into their education, goes into starting businesses. And we've heard from an amazing um, host in, in uh, South Africa. Her name is Michelle, who is a very passionate mom with, a, with two sons, and she's a great house. And she said, you know, being, being on Airbnb and renting out a, a part of my house that I'm so passionate about actually allows me to, to, to devote myself to my family, to my, to my sons, and give them the love that I experienced growing up and, and, and be the best mom that I can be to them. And, and Airbnb has helped with that and has empowered me. So it's stories like that that really make me excited about this market and about this role. Um, and I think this is really just the beginning of what we can do. So, Lena, when are you in South Africa? Because I need you to come and sit with us and, 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 and tell us more <laughs> about how we can become part of this huge community. Well, um, it's good that you say that. Um, I'm actually looking into travel right now. Um, uh, I, uh, in, in, in full disclosure, a little bit about me, I've just moved to Berlin um, two weeks ago, so I'm already 
You know, um, I'm very fresh myself in Berlin. I was in Asia with Airbnb before that, so I've lived in Singapore for two and a half years. So I've just moved to Berlin, and I'm looking into travel right now, and I'm hoping to be in South Africa as early as, as the beginning of April, and I'll sure be in touch if I make it. Well, I wish I wish that you make it, because we should have a, a bigger conversation when you're here. But thank you so much for giving yeah, us your I, that time. Would be, that would be absolutely lovely, and I'm, I promise I'll be in touch. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. Um, it, was, it was great speaking to you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Lena. That's Lena Sochensen, Head of Communications, Middle East and Africa, Airbnb. And just go on Google and look at it. It's, it's, it sounds like a great way to travel, firstly. I've heard a lot about it, and I thought it would be interesting with the slant of new partnerships they're creating for women to travel easier and especially attend important conferences around the world. Um, you know, f- for instance, women that are going to the, for the United Nations 60th Commission on the status of women, including the Forum on Women's NGOs in Kazakhstan and, and those kinds of places. So do go on and, and look and, if anything, make extra money for yourself by hosting somebody who's part of the community already. Coming up, Gail Mabalani after this. Few things make us powerful beyond measure. Knowing our constitutional rights is one of them. Section 22 of the Bill of Rights states that every citizen has the right to choose their trade, occupation or profession freely. The practice of a trade, occupation or profession may be regulated by law. SAFM, reminding South Africans everywhere that our constitution wasn't designed for the country, but rather for the people in it. And that's what makes us South Africa's news and information leader. Shows so good, we won't blame you if you can't pick a favorite. Can't pick a favorite. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. I'm so excited to be talking to my guest, a celebrated actress and businesswoman, Gail Mabalani. Hello, Gail. Are you as as beautiful as you always are? <laughs> I tell you, I never get tired of looking at your face. Does it bother Aww. you that people see beauty first when they see you, than um, get to know who you are? Um, it bothers me a little bit. <laughs> I guess um, you know I'm, I'm I always am humbled by all the positive um, comments I get when it comes to the way I look. But I I really hope that um, one day when I'm in my nineties that the way I made people feel in my presence and what I contributed to society and my industry and my craft will long outlive the way I look. So, But I'm always humbled when I get uh, positive comments. Well, you know, you, you were, you were um, Miss South Africa Teen. Is that where it began, in 2001? Yes, well, in 2001 I entered Miss Teen. I didn't win. I made it to the top five. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it, it began at five years old when my mom entered me into Miss Tinkerbell. <laughs> And um, really the love for, for, for entertainment started there. Entertainment and stage. Were you ever shy or did you, were you always a confident young girl? I am still shy. <laughs> I'm still very shy. And I'm, and I'm grateful for, for what I do because uh, acting allows me to step out of myself and into a character. But, but in my personal capacity, I'm, I'm naturally very shy. Did you set out, though, to do all the things you've, you've kind of achieved from now? Because they're diverse as well. And I yes. just wonder what, what you've got on your notepad as to things to do, because they're so diverse. I know they're, giving, they're broadening your scope, 
but how do you handpick what you get involved in? Well, when it comes to acting in particular, I really, um, I've always known I wanted to be in the entertainment industry, but I kind of stumbled into it um, on, after I entered a singing competition and, and then got an opportunity to cast for, for a role in a te- television series. And since then, the bug has bitten me. And for me, it's just always been about um, growth. I'm, I'm totally in love with my acting. That's something I want to focus on in everything I do is motivated by my having an opportunity to grow as an actress. So even as, as, as a businesswoman, I mean, I see my acting as a business. I see myself as a business, even, even within my acting career. So business is, is, is just part of what I do. And I just hope to grow every day and challenge myself. Well, I was wondering how you separated that, you know, your business and your brand as, because, you know, they're two different, you, you've got, you've got, um, You've got a beauty products, body language, and mm-hmm. is that separate from Gail, the, the, the brand? I wouldn't say so. I mean, I feel, apart from the fact that I grew up loving stuff that smell nice and I'm totally still obsessed with it, um, I see, my, like I say, with it, when it comes to me as a brand and as an actress, I am a business. And it was just finding an extension to who I am, something that will also, um, I guess, outlive me one day because I'm, one day when I'm old and, and, and I will have something to leave for my children um, that's bigger than just me as a, as, as a performer and as an actress. So it's, I, I see it as an extension of who I am and, and an extension of, of my passion. So I like the name, Body Language. How did that come about? <laughs> Well, it's actually quite strange because I was traveling at the time and I just happened, it just, I had another name for it and it, and, and this came up. But I think more than anything, what I came to, to realize was that so many times, I mean, when you, when you meet somebody for the very first time, the first thing you experience is their energy, mm-hmm. is what they give you without them talking or saying anything. The first thing you get is how they present themselves. And I just learned that over time that body language and how we carry ourselves long before you say anything introduces you to people and so we really have to become aware of ourselves because how we see ourselves is how people receive us because that's what we put out there and I wanted it to be even more than just um, a beauty product I mean with the with the talks I do with young girls and young women which is something I'm very passionate about I always encourage them to just um, think positively about themselves and and encourage them to to take note to, to what they feed themselves about themselves because eventually that shows and I really believe that that does contribute to, to who we become ultimately because if you think of yourself um, as, as, as nothing, for lack of a better better word, um, that's, uh, that will inform your decisions and that's ultimately, I think, where you find yourself um, in the long run. What, what are the biggest challenges you've, you've noticed as you give these talks to young people? What are they battling with? I think more than anything, I mean, I remember when I was growing up as a young girl, I I really had so much from my mom to my aunt to women that were in media at the time and were in the public eye at the time. I was just surrounded by, by role models. And yes, there were there were there were difficulties here and there, but there were there were people to look up to and I think um when I speak to the young girls I really think that certain things are glamorized and, and, and to them you know, um, that, that doesn't really contribute positively to, to who they become. And I think we lack role models. I think we young girls lack people to look up to um, because that 
I know that I am where I am today because I had people to look at and go, that is where I want to be and that is where I want to go. That is bigger than just how you look and how you dress. And, you know, and I guess even today with, with social media, it goes beyond just the number of followers that you have, but there is a deeper um, connection with, with women in general that I, I was able to look at and say, I like her values, I like what she stands for, and, and, and really just make that part of, of my growth, and that has really contributed to the woman I am today. And I think women, young girls, struggle a lot with that, and then that informs what they do, you know, the stuff, kind of stuff they post on social media um, mm-hmm. to, to sort of gain a following or to be noticed. And I think they just really need people to take their hands and walk with them because life, life is challenging. And, and to have uh, mentors or people that you look up to like a mom or an aunt or somebody within the media um, is it, really a blessing. And I think, you know, we need to encourage that more so that they can be inspired. That, that, that's good. I'm, I'm happy to hear you say that because especially you, because you, you are so beautiful and I'm glad that you're saying to them it's not important to, mm-hmm. be, to be accepted because of the way you look. Um, and, and, you know, you, you can demystify it for them. So I'm glad at, at, at those talks. Going back to body language, what, what do you offer? We have a range of, um, a range for women and a range for men. Um, it's, it started off as, um, well, we still only have 11 products um, combined, and it's body washes and body lotions, creams, hand sanitizer, and, um, I mean, both fragrances are, are, are quite fresh, and um, we're looking at expanding the ranges and, and growing and also just getting with getting feedback from, from the consumers. We, we're wanting to also just fine-tune some of the some of the products and also just give something to the consumer that, um, you know, that because our products are affordable, but they have an exclusive feel to them because they are not um, necessarily, that we, we sell them online and through direct selling, so you can't walk into a shop and buy it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, I mean, we've had amazing feedback. There's always room for growth. Business is hard, but there's always room for growth. And um, I look forward to just challenging myself, even just as a business person. So let's talk about your your marriage. Did it change mm-hmm. anything about the way you work? Or are you able to accommodate? Because it's difficult to be as successful as you are and, and keep a strong home base, which yeah. is what a lot of people battle with. Yes, um, yes, very true. How has it been for you? I think, you know, when you keep the important things first, everything else, I believe, falls into place. And family will always come first to me. I, I grew up in a very close-knit family where family came first, work came second, and that for me is a priority. I mean, I'll never, I'll never um, take for granted the talents that I've been blessed with, and I'll always challenge myself to grow in them and to use them to the best of my ability. But I have brought in my responsibility first to them and I think also having a spiritual backing has been great in the sense that it really helps you to just put things into perspective you know and you uh, when you do that you get invited to things all the time and it's so important to not get consumed with being seen so much that you forget that you actually have a bigger responsibility and um, I, I, I really believe that you know with my daughter and my husband that that's where it starts and then everything else falls into place it's informed by what's important and if you know what comes first, everything else will fall into place. How old's your daughter now? She is about to turn one. She'll be one at the end of the month. I can't believe it. <laughs> I can't believe she'll be one already. Time flies, and that's what everyone has always told me. But I, I'm only realizing it now. 
Well, listen, you you are a fantastic couple. Give Gabelo my love. And uh, and and good luck with with the business. Good luck with family, and and stay as you are, girl. And I, I like I like the way you conduct yourself, and I think it's absolutely amazing. We need more role models like yourself. So thank you for your thank time you. as well. Thank you so much, Maya. I appreciate it, and thank you for having me on the show. You take care now. Thank you. Bye bye. Gail Mabalane, uh, husband, Gabelo Mabalane. Um, and the, the, the product's called Body Language, but it's just so amazing how she manages to just do it all together and not lose any part of it, which is what I, I wish for all our young ladies. It is now time for news headlines with Sir Utsile Sako. When we come back, actually, we're speaking to Didin Tlenziye, who is going to talk to us about the ACT UJ Arts and Culture Conference. But first, the news with Sir Utsile Sako. rights activists have welcomed the life sentences imposed on a 51-year-old pedophile from George in the Southern Cape. The man was sentenced in the Tambaleta Regional Court to 37 life sentences for drugging and raping seven of his daughter's friends during sleepovers. And three more South Africans have been banned by FIFA's Ethics Committee in connection with match-fixing in warm-up games ahead of the 2010 FIFA World Cup. Details at 2 o'clock. Otherwise, with Shadow Twala, see the world from a woman's point of view. My guest is Didi Ntlensie. Um She's talking to us about the ACT UJ Arts and Culture Conference, which comes up at the, at the University of Johannesburg Arts Centre on the 16th, which is Wednesday, and 17th of March. Didi Ntle, hello. Didi Ntle, dimang. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us. Um, and and I, I know that you're very passionate about creativity, which is the theme is creative intersections. Tell us more. Yes. Um, I mean, I guess my background and my upbringing has really instilled this um, idea of do what you can where you are with what you have. And I mean, that's something that's centered 100% in creativity, having to figure out what resources you have and how you can make things better for yourself, either your immediate surroundings or for a bigger vision that you might have. So definitely because of the background that I've had and the upbringing I've had, I really value creativity as a way of problem solving and um, figuring out a really healthy way of living. Do you know, it, it's so important that problem solving is, is such a wonderful creative process that I think we we would, if we use that and understood that, I think we'd achieve so much more. So how do we turn that into into something that would give employment, for instance? I mean, that's a, a very tricky question to answer because I think that um, as a society, um, it worries me a little bit that we uh, focus a lot on being employed as opposed to creating platforms that will... Um, I don't know, create livelihoods not just for the person creating the the platform but also for other people. So that's a lot of what I focus on, looking at how you can use the resources that you have um, and the connections that you have to create something that can create funds, that can channel funds, um, that can inspire other people to think of other things that they can do themselves. So really to be entrepreneurial and to be hands-on. But in terms of interdisciplinarity as something that can help you in the job, in the job industry, or in the employment industry, um, I think that it's important as a way of, you know, finding value 
um, within people from different backgrounds with different expertise. So I think that that's something that is coming up more and more, the valuing of lived experiences as opposed to just the academic side of things, people who have studied. So I think that just the ability to know that you bring something to the table, even if you haven't necessarily studied at an institution of higher learning, I think that's a good way to build confidence in order for people to go into the job market and say, hey, this is what I'm able to do. This, was, this is what I've done in the past. These are the skills that I offer. Um, let me join the team. It's an interesting concept, but, um, you know, listening to you talk about interdisciplinarity and all of those kinds of things, I'm thinking, yeah, it's, 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 it's up there, but how do I translate it to the people that need it on a daily basis who are sitting there tapping their feet and not knowing what to do with themselves? Uh, absolutely. I love that question because I think that a lot of these words and terminologies uh, make it very difficult mm. to to understand or it makes it difficult to feel like uh, for people to feel that they can access what that actually means. Mm. But what interdisciplinarity actually means is just simply people with different expertise, with different focus areas working together for problem solving. So even if it is one individual that does many different things, for instance, I grew up in a township and I know many people who are interdisciplinary, um, have this different skills, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a man who actually knows how to um, exterminate. <laughs> He's like the cockroach killer man, <laughs> but he also knows how to fix um, electrical appliances, um, and he's also the guy that you go to for welding. So he's actually an interdisciplinary, somebody who works with interdisciplinarity, but it's not sold that way because it's been institutionalized. Mm. So essentially, to put it plainly, it's just a person, an individual who has multiple skills or um, a, a project that looks at different areas of expertise and puts them together with the goal of problem solving. And I mean, there are many examples of that that's already happening. And you see that a lot in the tech field. For instance, there's this app called um, Aviro, which looks at how um, HIV and AIDS mentoring can happen through smartphones. Because as we can see, more and more we're getting, people are getting access to smartphones and technology like that. Mm-hmm. It's no longer just people who have money. So they're looking at how they can dis- um, disseminate information through smartphones, through an app. Um, yeah, that's the basic understanding of it, the basic explanation of it. What's that app called? Aviro. A- spell please. A-V-I-R-O. Okay, okay. So, you know, because somebody's going to call me and ask me later what that app was. So so back to the, to, to the conference, um, yes. who should attend and, and what can we expect? Honestly, I would say anyone and everyone. Um, because of the topic that is creative intersections, which really tries to focus on looking at the different identities, the different areas of interest, areas of expertise that people can bring to the table, and really trying to take this concept out of the academic space and um, beyond that boundary and looking at how in the everyday world and everyday how everyday people can use it, but also corporates, um, students, scholars, lecturers, thinkers, you know, makers, artists, it really tries to open it up and, and, and um, make it more accessible and show people how it can actually work. So the short answer would be anybody that's interested in creative problem solving should attend this conference. So will there be opportunities to, to have discussions and, and, and workshops on those kinds of things? Yes, there'll be presentations, there'll be workshops, there'll be brainstorming sessions. Um, and of course, during the breaks, you'll have the opportunity to talk to some of the people who presented and to connect with other um, conference goers. 
I went last year and the theme was creative, make it happen. And I made a lot of connections with people from different provinces, um, different interest groups, but also the same interests that I have. So I found it really, really beneficial. So how can we use you to, to get this thing on the ground? Um, and because now you, you know the welder, huh? the exterminator, <laughs> and I'd like to meet the exterminator. So how do we use you to connect with the, 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 the community of people that you already know um, and, 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 and network like that? I mean, I'm trying to make myself as available as possible. People can reach me on Twitter or on Instagram or on Facebook. I usually give my number out. I don't have a problem with doing that. But last time I did that, I had a bit of problems. I, I, <laughs> often, I didn't really want. I um, often but, ask people not to give numbers. I think social yes. media is good enough. But numbers do bring problems eventually. Problems, definitely. So I'm at the DDNS on Instagram and on Twitter. And on Facebook, it's just my name, Didin Tensie. And I am very open to having conversations with people. Uh, I do have the background of helping people turn their ideas into reality. I have mentorship programs that I run as well. So I'm very happy to sit down, have a conversation, or um, connect people with others that could actually help them bring their idea to light or further explain something that they might need some enlightenment on. But you work mainly within the arts and cultures and heritage sector, right? Yes, mainly arts, culture, heritage, and then a little bit within urban planning. So let's talk about heritage for a bit. Um, Mm. What should we understand about heritage? That we don't have a shared understanding of what that is, Mm. and it's something that's very contested, and that we are going to have to be uncomfortable for a long time in order to really work through this period that we are experiencing as a young democracy. Um, I think that we have this misconception that we have a shared heritage and a shared history. Um, But history is something that's usually contested because it depends on who's writing it, whose perspective, and what you consider to be important. I think that's one important thing that we really have to understand as South Africans and as people. How do we interrogate it, though, to, to find our own meaning in whatever that meaning is? How do we approach it? I mean, we've got months like Heritage Month and those kinds of things, and we, we you know, we dress in, in our tribal attires. Mm. It's, it's, is it about identity? Is it about, is it deeper than that? I think identity is at the core, but I also think what can help us is to be empathetic. Um, I mean, I think if we start to really look at the, the concept of empathy and looking at how other people deal with issues that you might not necessarily deal with, or understand, but to give people the benefit of the doubt that they experience what they said they experience and it feels the way they say it feels. I think that's a good way of starting, to just be empathetic and to listen. Mm. Sometimes it's just about listening. Even if you don't fully understand, just give a person a chance to tell you their story. Um, and I do think that identity forms a big part of it. And, I mean, the, the conversation that's at, in the mainstream right now is definitely about that, you know, who am I, where do I come from, what do I consider to be important. I think the conversation around the statues, um, especially when Rosemary Fall started, um, was something that was at the core, asking what is our heritage, what do we consider to be important, what histories do we highlight, and why. You know, so it's, it's really difficult because people find it very personal. Um, and I look forward to a day when we are able to kind of step outside of the personal space and look at it as objectively as possible. But I know that's nearly impossible, you know, because it has got to do with our personal identities and perspectives. And who we've been told we are as opposed to who we are. So understanding who you're not maybe as well just takes it to a different place altogether. And arts and culture then, are they interrelated? Are they separate? 
Oh, definitely interrelated. I think that's why I always say art, culture, and heritage. I mean, even if you look at how um, heritage is expressed in public space, a lot of it is artistic expression. For instance, the statues is an artistic expression of a figure, um, a time in history, a monument, a monumental period. Um, and I think culture is also created by people. And culture and heritage are so interlinked that it's very difficult to separate them. I think that when we look back on this time, this time will have formulated a kind of a heritage. I mean, this is a cultural um, experience. I think a process of, of creating um, is what I would consider culture to be, something that changes constantly, that has a different feel, a different look, and it's a process. And then heritage, I think, is something that's a little bit more fixed, that people kind of take on as an identity. So I think that the two are interlinked, and you can't have the conversation about um, heritage without arts and culture, or a conversation about culture and not talk about arts and heritage, because those are the means that you use to express that culture or that heritage. You use artistic means quite um, often, um, and it's usually very visual. So, Didinke, should we be expressing ourselves more in the search of who we are and what history has told us, which we've found some loopholes in uh, or some non-truths in, should we be rewriting or re, re-experiencing and to reshape the history today for tomorrow? A hundred percent, I agree. I think that's what we need to be doing. I think we also need to really start imagining new futures, new identities, and new ways of existing. But I think writing is one of the first steps because we need to document that process, document our stories, um, document the, the pieces that don't exist in our history. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's really heartbreaking when you're a young person trying to look at, okay, where do I come from? What's my story? Why is this country called this? You know, where do my people come from? What has Bantu mean? Oh, and then you discover that there's a whole lot, and I'm 28 right now, and I'm going on this process because I didn't get it at school. You know, it's just not structured in that way. So I think it's important for us to seek out information, to to have conversations with other people who are dealing with similar things, similar uh, problems um, or issues or interests, and to really start to pin down some of these things, to start to document these um, um, truths that we find out, you know, our histories, our stories, um, and to share that, you know, so that you can um, inspire other people to do the same. I mean, I'm a big fan of blogging because it's free and it's a nice portal into other people's lives in the way that they think. And um, I try to do that in, in my own little way. Um, yeah, so I think that's very important to rewrite and to reimagine the way that we exist, the way that we interact with one another, and to just be really honest about the fact that some things were not told. <laughs> that's just the way it is. It's not ideal, but that's the reality. And to just be comfortable with un- discomfort because it's, we're going to be uncomfortable for quite a while. I think we've got a bit of a, a bumpy ride ahead of us. Without the anger, hey? Without the anger, because um, the anger doesn't help. I think that we, can, we need to train ourselves to use the anger as a tool, as a way of channeling an energy, because anger is quite a strong, powerful force. Mm-hmm. And I think if we can figure out how to take that really strong um, emotion and channel it into something that can be impactful and useful, then I think that definitely. I don't, I'm not really a big believer in repressing or suppressing emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the more we suppress it, the bigger the explosion will be because you've been told don't, don't, don't for so long. And I think that's part of the reason why we're experiencing what we're experiencing now. Well, Didintla, where are these platforms? Where are these spaces then? Because you, with that anger being such a powerful force, you need to use it as you've suggested, but also in a very safe space. Mm. You know, this concept of safe spaces is something I'm personally grappling with. I'm realizing more and more that it's very, it's becoming increasingly difficult to find the so-called safe space. So my my saying is, 
as soon as you realize that there are no safe spaces, the, the safer you will be. Um, but there are, some, <laughs> there are some online spaces that you can go to to have these discussions. Um, on Facebook, one of them that I follow, which a friend of mine started, it's called Get Woke. But you need to up, um, click on the join. It's a group. So it's a safe space in a way, in the, in the sense that it is administrated and there's somebody who kind of makes sure that the guidelines are reached and people are not harassing each other. Um, and this is a space where people come with their daily experiences, like, this is what happened to me, what do I do? Oh, my God, I'm so frustrated this happened. And they have, they have guidelines as well and things that people can read that are really, really useful that help on the journey. So I think there are a lot of virtual spaces um, and, and in-person spaces where conversations can happen. For me personally, I found that the most useful space is at the dinner table at my house. So I cook a lot and invite my friends over <laughs> and we hash it out. That's a good idea. That's a good idea. I wish I could be part of your group of friends next time you cook a lot. And, and, and uh, I'd like to listen in and participate and just to hear these conversations happen. And maybe we create a lot of those dinner tables around because I, I think... Numbers are important as well. So if you're having a conversation with the same friends you hang out with every weekend, it's not going anywhere. You're not sharing. It's not going anywhere. You're not being honest. You you probably have the same opinion about things. Exactly. So we need to bring in other people. Definitely. I mean, as I said, I'm very available to talk with other people and to also point them in the direction of places they can go to to have these conversations in their provinces or to give suggestions of how to start these uh, platforms where you can have these conversations. Um, There's a project I'm working on in Cape Town called Cultural Intersections, and that's what we do. We actually had a whole year of having conversations with heritage professionals, usually senior heritage professionals, and just asking them to engage on a professional level and a personal level. Um, and it's been amazing. It's been absolutely phenomenal, the things that come out of these conversations. So we are looking to have a phase two that might be a little bit more public-facing, but we obviously have to do a lot of assessment um, before we can get to that. But I'm available at the DDNS to point people in the direction and to have a conversation. I'm also open to having conversations with people myself. At the DDNS? Yes. <laughs> I like that, the DDNS. Okay, briefly, though, before people get to the DDNS, can you just give us one or two ideas that someone can take to their friends tonight and say, okay, I heard the DDNS talk about this. Let's get together and let's do this. Step one, find out what the conversations are that are happening that you feel like you're not fully understanding. Jot those down. Write down, even if it's just keywords, because I know that recently there's been a lot of words coming out, like intersectionality. What is that? Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. So write those topics down. And then, you know, sit down with your friends and say, guys, listen, these conversations are happening and I'd really like to dismantle them and start to understand them. Here are three topics. Can we add to that pot? And then let's agree to meet every two weeks. One of us cooks. We go to each other's house and we Google these these terminologies. We look at other texts that we can read and teach each other and help each other on that journey. And then also just put it up on Facebook. You know, I think people put a lot of really um, disturbing things on Facebook. And I found Facebook to be a learning space after culling a whole lot of people off my list. Mm. Um, I now find it to be a space where it's, that is inspirational. I go on Facebook and I literally go there to find information, you know, about things that people are reading, things people are listening to, podcasts, um, videos, conversations mm. people are having. So go on Facebook and ask for something useful for once. <laughs> you know, say, this is a topic that I'm struggling with. Does anybody have any text information about it? And I promise you people will either point you in the right direction or then you will see that maybe the people you hang out with don't know and you need to find a new space to <laughs> try and seek that information out. You know, be practical and just be honest about what you don't know. It's okay to not know. 
It's okay not to not know. You know, I, yeah. I it's helped me throughout my life, not knowing and asking. And, and it, you, you'd be surprised at the reaction you get. The DDNS, all the best. When's the conference? It starts on Wednesday, right? Yes, 16th and 17th of March. And do you deliver papers on both days? Or do you talk? Sorry? Do, are you um, keynote for both days? No, keynote for the first day. And then Alan, Alexandrina Hensley is the keynote for the next day. Um, but we, I, I'm sure that we will have all the content that will be discussed. I'm sure that Arts and Culture Trust and the rest of the partners will find a way to disseminate that information. I mean, even as a starting point, on the on the website, which is creativeconference.co.za, there's a lot of information that's already there, papers and projects that other people have worked on before, that you can look through, look at the findings and the experiments that people have done. Creativeconference.co.za. Yes. Fantastic. Thank you so much. I'll be following you on Twitter. I am already, I think. You are already. <laughs> <laughs> I'm following you closely this time. But thank you so much for your time, Didinte, and all the best. And we hope to see you at your next, uh, invite us to your creative intersections or whatever it is or interactions, whatever it is that you're doing, okay? I'll definitely tweet you and I'll send you an invite to dinner. Just arrive. Thank you so much. All right, thank you. You take care now. Okay. Bye. Uh, the the Diddiness is the blog. And uh, go to creativeconference.co.za. It sounds like an amazing arts and culture conference. It is taking place um, at the University of Johannesburg Arts Centre on the 16th and 17th of this month. It is now time for our children's programme, Nali Bali.